everyone, my name is Michelle Lee and I'm 17 years old. Just recently, my friends and I finally gained a bit more control over how we spend our money. For many teenagers, it's a rite of passage. Getting our first job, opening a first bank account, maybe a credit or debit card. We're at the age where our key lifelong financial habits are beginning to develop, and many of us feel ill-equipped to deal with them. Just like how we don't learn to do taxes in school, we also don't learn responsible spending habits. One thing I've really noticed is that the world around us is constantly trying to take advantage of young people, just like me, and pressure us into buying and consuming more. From their vantage point, of course, this makes perfect sense. Younger people who've just gained a bit of financial freedom are far more impressionable and gullible than our older counterparts, and we're far more excited to be spending money and thus more likely to make impulse purchases based on marketing or social pressure. We have relatively few financial responsibilities in this young stage, and we're the age group that experiences peer pressure most intensely. For example, in the past few years, the world has been constantly bombarded by the release of new phones. More cameras, a distinctive notch, face ID, new features, and modern sleeker design. They're all contributing to a growing pressure to upgrade your phone. But is there any reason to? Many of our phones are still fully functional, if a little visually outdated. Even worse, however, are when our fully functional existing phones start to deteriorate. Have you noticed your iPhone running slower or losing battery life? Chances are that might not be a coincidence. In the scandal known as BatteryGate, a series of class action lawsuits have charged Apple with purposely hampering the performance of their old phones, forcing consumers to upgrade. These lawsuits have been filed in 34 states in the United States, the District of Columbia, Belgium, Spain, Portugal, and Italy, and they signal a global discontent. In the United States alone, Apple will pay up to $500 million to settle, but the story doesn't quite end here. In fact, it's only the beginning of symptoms resulting from a carefully designed system that props up the material economy. After World War II, the world shifted into massive consumerism. Increased advertising, cheaper mass-produced products, and innovation in product design all allowed sales to skyrocket. This resulted in the material economy, a production system composed of five stages, extraction, production, distribution, consumption, and disposal. In this system, huge amounts of raw materials are necessary to produce finished goods, which are purchased and eventually thrown away by the consumers. In order to keep boosting sales, however, this system relies on consumers constantly throwing away their current products and buying new ones. To accelerate this process, planned and perceived obsolescence have become integrated into product design. Planned obsolescence first began catching on in the 1950s, and it's when products are purposefully designed to degrade quickly, becoming useless so they have to be thrown out and replaced. We constantly hear those older than us complaining that they don't make them like they used to anymore in regards to clothing, jewelry, air conditioning, electronics, or virtually any product being produced today. When Apple slows down their old iPhones, they're utilizing planned obsolescence by purposely making their products less functional over time. Perceived obsolescence, on the other hand, is more psychological and insidious. In this process, corporations are trying to shame and convince consumers that their completely functional products are outdated and need to be replaced. They can do this by making their newer products appear more modern in design and making it visually obvious who's still using the older iterations of their products. For example, when Apple added distinctive second and third cameras, as well as the notch on newer versions of the iPhone, they made it extremely obvious who was still using the older models. This, in turn, contributes to the pressure to upgrade and keep up with societal norms. Perceived obsolescence is also a huge contributor to the fast fashion problem, where fashion trends are quickly changing and forcing consumers to buy more to stay relevant. Think about it. 
Have you noticed that fashion tends to have cycles? Jean styles popular in the 90s have recently been trending on TikTok, and it feeds into the cyclical nature of fashion that all ultimately contributes to more purchasing. Now, as consumers, this all might seem relatively harmless. After all, what's the issue with having to buy some more clothes every few months or upgrade an iPhone? All we're really exposed to are the consumption and disposal stages of the material economy, and we even get cheap goods out of it. The real cost of the material economy, however, is much further up the production line and far more harmful. When many of us imagine the issues surrounding consumerism, we think about the disposal stage of the material economy. After all, almost everything we consume and purchase eventually goes into the trash. However, much of the damage is done far before this last endpoint. In the first extraction stage, natural resources are taken from the earth for production. The process of extracting these natural resources, however, creates vast amounts of pollution, which often involves contaminating waterways, devastating ecosystems, killing animals, destabilizing local economies, alongside a whole host of harmful practices. In addition, because the material economy doesn't value those who don't wield economic power, much of this takes place in poorer locations that are told that their natural resources, which have sustained them for millennia, no longer belong to them. This generates a cycle of poverty, both stripping their land and forcing them to partake in a system that directly takes advantage of them instead. This often takes place in countries where the government has little regulation or regard for the health and well-being of their workers. Cheap labor, such as child labor, play a large part of this extraction stage. For example, child labor is used in the diamond industry, where children are exposed to minerals and machinery exhaust, leading to increased risk of respiratory issues. Similarly, in the makeup industry, a mineral called mica is used to make shimmery and sparkly products. The cost? Children mine this mineral underground, in dark and small spaces that frequently collapse and even kill them. Even when the workers are adults, they are often severely underpaid and exposed to deplorable conditions, often with a disproportionate impact on women and people of color. These are just a few examples of the socioeconomic impact that are the consequence of the extraction of natural resources, all to sustain the next production stage. In the production stage, all of these natural resources are shipped across the world and into factories for assembly. Workers in factories are often exposed to unsafe conditions as well, and often harmful synthetic chemicals and those who are most in danger are those who are of reproductive age. A 1992 study commissioned by the company IBM found that chemicals belonging to the glycol ether family, which are used extensively in the electronic chip manufacturing process, were linked to much higher rates of miscarriage in their female workers. A paper published by a neurology professor at the Harvard Medical School estimates that exposure to lead, mercury, and organophosphate pesticides during pregnancy have caused the loss of 41 million IQ points in children. Currently, over 80,000 synthetic chemicals are registered in the production process, and more than 60,000 of those have never been tested. Of the ones that have been tested for safety, there are known carcinogens, neurotoxins, and other issues. But for the untested ones, it would take the Environmental Protection Agency centuries to fully test them. We simply don't know the potentially harmful health effects of many of these chemicals used extensively in the production process. And unfortunately, once this production stage wraps up, these potentially toxic chemicals remain in these products for life, where they're eventually exposed to consumers. Even though the stage finishes, its negative health consequences are forever integrated into the supply chain. Then, in the third distribution stage, companies want to sell these products as quickly as possible and make as much profit as they can. 
By this point, a lot of the environmental and socioeconomic damage caused by these products have already been done, and the cost of them have been externalized. Have you ever wondered how some products are so cheap? How can we get products shipped and assembled from all around the world into our local supermarket and buy them for just a few dollars? Mass manufacturing and other innovations are part of the answer, but externalized costs bear the brunt of the weight. Remember the child labor and environmental cost in the extraction stage? The reproductive and neurological health consequences in the production stage? Even the low wages given to the labor who are selling the goods in the distribution stage are examples of externalized costs. While I might pay just a few dollars for a plastic dinosaur at the supermarket, the true cost of that isn't monetary. People along the material economy have paid for it, with their health, their future, their time, and their resources. Because it's not money, it's difficult to track, but the damage done is permanent. These products then enter the consumption stage, the end goal of this all, where they're finally used. While you might hope that we'd finally have some peace here, nope, this is where planned and perceived obsolescence take root. Because long-lasting goods directly contradict the doctrine of consumerism, planned and perceived obsolescence help trigger the constant demand for goods that fuels the entire material economy. As if the damages we did earlier weren't enough, we have to compound them and continually create them. Interestingly enough, however, increased consumerism is actually correlated with lower levels of happiness. So while we're trashing the world, creating externalized costs everywhere, buying a bunch of cheap goods, we're not even being happy with it. Eventually, almost all of these products that we've consumed will be discarded. This is the disposal stage, which we're exposed to every time we have to take out the garbage. While many people think of the trash problem they imagine this stage, they're not wrong per se, but the magnitude is far overblown. Psychologically, because we're exposed to it the most, we perceive it as far more important than it actually is. As humans, we tend to tackle what we can see. For example, air pollution from car exhaust has been a major issue, and governments around the world have been extensively regulating it and largely successful in reducing its pollution. What you might not realize, however, are that the tires on the car actually create almost 2,000 times more particulate pollution than the exhaust. Because we couldn't see the tiny particles coming off the tires, we didn't realize that they were so large of an issue. We're also similarly blind to our trash. While we think about the trash in the disposal stage as a huge problem, in reality, most of the waste involved in creating that was far earlier. This disposal stage accounts for just 1.4% of the waste generated throughout the material economy. Just 1.4%. While everyone should continue to reuse and recycle, reducing consumerism by far creates the most impact by preventing the 98.6% of waste involved in creating our trash from being generated in the first place. As consumers, we're only really exposed to the consumption and disposal stages of the material economy, as the extraction, production, and distribution stages are hidden from our view. This isn't a coincidence. Just as planned and perceived obsolescence were engineered, so too are marketing strategies. Corporations work very hard to prevent the public from knowing the true cost of their actions, and many people don't really understand the full scale and scope of the problem. So, what does all of this really mean? Well, one thing is for sure, we cannot continue to live like this. The Earth physically can't sustain this sort of activity, and we've already exceeded its regenerative capabilities. This deeply flawed system is contributing to climate change, environmental degradation, socioeconomic stratification, and increasing materialism, all to prop up a system that is innately flawed and making us unhappy. 
This system will be forced to end at some point, whether it's when we've completely polluted and trashed the entire Earth, or when we choose to by our own means. We're standing at a fork in the road right now, and we have a choice. We can choose to end this system ourselves, and at least slow it down to manageable levels. On the other hand, stopping the raging monster of the material economy is far from easy, but there are many ways each of us can make an impact. In fact, you've already taken the first step. By taking the time to gain awareness of the full scale and scope of the problem, you have far more understanding of the pressing and significant nature of this issue. If more people understood the full impact of their consumption habits, it can create demand for products that are more sustainably developed with longer lifespans. As consumers, the easiest point of intersection is the consumption stage. For example, by supporting sustainable products made with fair trade policies, you can help reduce the negative impacts of the material economy. These can be small, incremental steps in your daily life. Take a second to reconsider why you buy things. For many of us, we're conditioned to think that we constantly need to buy more to feel fulfilled. I know that I've fallen into this trap before, and it's very easy to do when the issues of the material economy are so well hidden and purchasing is so easy. It's difficult to understand the full cost of our actions, but now that you do, it's time to take action. One way is by practicing minimalism and mindful purchasing, so you can both save money and end the cycle of consumerism that is hurting our planet, ourselves, and our pockets. For example, the trend of capsule wardrobes is rising in the fashion world, which consists of building a timeless, interchangeable collection of clothing, a stark contrast to fast fashion. While this isn't accessible to all due to the often more expensive nature of buying long-lasting pieces, this sentiment can be carried with you into your daily life. Whenever possible and whenever you can afford it, try to purchase higher quality, timeless items and avoid those that you know will break after just a few uses. Even if that's not financially possible for you right now, that's okay as well. There are many other ways you can make an impact, which can also help you save money. For example, by being aware of the harms of perceived obsolescence, you can instead keep your products for as long as possible, saving yourself money as well. Even better, once enough people start voting with their dollars, corporations will be forced to cater to these market trends and realize that their manipulated obsolescence is obsolete. And finally, know that everything isn't all doom and gloom. There are so, so many exciting scientific developments that are rising to the challenge of combating this issue. Research into sustainable material sciences, green biofuels, alternatives to plastics, more effective recycling methods are just a few examples of how scientists have taken the lead to help change this at a systemic level. While you might not be directly involved with the science aspect of this issue at the moment, you can help support it by paying attention. Even by just listening and integrating it into your daily life, you can help get out the message. Influence others around you with this new knowledge. Motivate your friends to spend more responsibly. Practice reducing your consumption habits. And with our help, we can create a healthier, more sustainable planet for everyone.